morning, everybody. This is Doug, and you're listening to What's the Hazard. It is Friday, December 2nd, I think. It is. It is December. Oh, my God. Another year has passed. It's going to be 2023 pretty soon. Um, I just, a couple of things before I introduce my guest today. Um, number one, it is the season of gratitude. You know, Thanksgiving recently, I had my sons in town, so my wife and boys and my mother when, and my brother and his family came over. And and uh, as an older man, um, I am I am much more in tune with gratitude than I used to be, I think. I think it's at one point I took things for granted, but no, I feel much more gratitude toward what I've been given and the gifts I've been given. And one thing I, I, I feel compelled to say is thank you to everyone who has been a part of this podcast. Um, sponsors current past and future guests like yourself listeners everybody that's heard at the folks here at heard at media and parkville before that everyone that's been a part of it i i sincerely appreciate their help because i love doing this and it feels like we're doing something useful by doing this podcast by providing this information and this this platform this forum for safety and health information so I do want to thank John and Matt Falowich at Falowich Construction Services. They are a current sponsor of the program. Danny Arroyo with WorkSafe Consulting. She's a current sponsor of the program. All of my past sponsors, Aaron Cerrone, uh, Cheyenne Wolford, Kristen Hodge, Lou DeMauro, um, who am I forgetting? Steve Polich, uh, my good friend Jim Cover. The folks over at uh, Building Omaha, I've just been incredibly fortunate to have so many people support this effort. So thank you one and all. 2023, we're going to be introducing new sponsors. If you've ever dreamed about sponsoring a safety podcast, this is your opportunity. Just give me a holler. Let me know. Um, Anybody that is like-minded and committed to the mission is welcome to be a part of this journey. So thank you for that. Uh, The second thing I want to say is thank you to my nephew, Grant. Uh, his wife, Hannah, and their son, Jack, gave me this cool lid. Uh, I am one of the few survivors of an encounter with Bigfoot. Uh, I don't know if you knew that or not, Tony. I did not. And uh, so they have made it their life's mission to provide me with Bigfoot gear. So every time I see my niece and nephew, uh, they give me something. So I got this one recently. So thanks, G. I appreciate it, man. Um, now let's get to the program. My guest today is Tony Pofel. Uh, You are... An executive. What is your title, Tony? Director. Director. That's Director. It. Yeah. Whatever that fit? means. Yeah. You work got fit it. here in Omaha. Correct. Yep. Uh, you are a you are an occupational health service provider. You guys do lots and lots of things: injury prevention, injury treatment, uh, physical therapy, drug testing, all sorts of things. Education. A number of. I would love you to talk about that. We we are going to talk about drug testing, which has really been an always been an interesting activity um and the context of which is interesting from an osha perspective so we'll talk in more detail about that but if you wouldn't mind man first of all thank you for being here at nine in the morning having me it's a pleasure man appreciate it we've been talking about doing it for a while and uh, so talk a little bit about yourself how you came to be in this position work fit and then we'll talk about some drug testing sure yeah so at the end of the day i'm a construction guy you know i spent most of my career professional career in the construction industry um, doing different levels of management, everything from the director of training to corporate risk management to project management, 
And I've been on both sides of the fence, meaning both on the subcontractor side as well as general contracting side. So uh, at the end of the day, um, I'm a construction guy that um, I, uh, one company I worked with, and you know, you're getting old or starting to get old when you start to refer to things in, um, by decades. Um, <laughs> but about a decade or so, um, the company I was a part of when I was the risk manager, we were clients of WorkFit. Um, oh, so that, that's it's been a little while, but, yeah. um, anyway, yeah. Construction guy, uh, as far as what we do at WorkFit, I, I, maybe I should say I've been there right at three years. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it's, it goes quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but as far as what we do, you covered most of it. I mean, we do any sort of, we do a lot of different pre-employment services, everything from drug screening to lifting tests, audiograms, respiratory fit, probably two or three dozen minimum different types of um, pre-employment services to make mm-hmm. sure one that you're going to make sure that you're not going to be putting somebody in a bad spot. I mean, nobody wins in the situation where somebody right. gets injured. Um, so we do all those pre-employment services as well as um, injury care. Mm-hmm. And the only injury care we do are for employers. So we're dealing with work comp specifically, or sometimes the employers will pay us direct. Um, but no individuals, if you will, okay. it's all work-related right. injury care. Okay. Uh, a lot of times people ask me, so what's the scope of your injury care? And the best way I can describe it uh, briefly is the best way to look at it is we are um, like an urgent care for employers. I mean, we do in-house x-rays, we're able to do casting, minor procedures like sutures, stitches, that sort of thing. But we're not an emergency room, but we're basically like an urgent care for mm-hmm. our employers. So you can do the diagnostics, many of the diagnostics, things like that. And then you would make referrals perhaps to specialists if need be. Exactly. Something to that. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Specialists, surgeons. Um, we do have in-house uh, physical therapy, but depending on where that patient lives sometimes mm-hmm. we'll refer that piece out as well but okay. yeah exactly right we do nice. refer out to nice and so do most companies avail themselves of some occupational health services or is are i know i i encounter some of my clients and other employers that i deal with periodically who don't have an occupational health provider and it seems to be a really an integral part of this process if you don't have one and you are relying on some local you know, healthcare provider, you are really um, behind the eight ball, it seems like to me. Absolutely. And so from what I, my perspective on that is, uh, you know, these big organizations, big construction companies, manufacturers, they have those higher risk industries. They have to pay attention to that stuff because it affects them drastically. But I also make the argument that it affects the smaller organizations as well Mm -hmm. with 10, 20, 30, 40 on around that area, number of employees. Um, they just don't have the resources, nor do they have the understanding. I mean, in those organizations, um, a lot of people are wearing multiple hats. Um, so mm-hmm. they're one person is their training person, their safety person, production manager, and they just they, they can't do it all. Right. Um, but the point of the matter is it, it whether you're a small organization or a large one, it's it, it is important. Um, you need to partner with an occupational health facility um, for, for a lot of different reasons. One, to reduce costs. Two. Um, it really is a specialized um, type of care. I mean, you go to an ER or an urgent care, they don't necessarily, not that they don't care, but they don't necessarily connect the dots between, okay, this is what this individual's job is um, and relate that back to the injury as it comes down to restrictions and whatnot. Um, So that's why it's important to to partner with an occupational health facility. Mm -hmm. I love that description too, because it really is a partnership. And I can remember when I was with OSHA, and the, I will call them the current 
uh, record keeping guidelines came out when they were new, one of the things that was discussed a lot was partnering with your occupational health provider because, you know, there are there is a consequence to an occupation a healthcare provider not understanding that OSHA dynamic. Mm-hmm. There can be so the occupational health providers, as which is a specialty unto itself, um, have a better understanding of that and and the consequences of you know loose diagnoses or kind of loose restrictive work uh, opinions or instructions and things. So it really is critical and it can have a a significant impact on a company to be working with just the local minor medical or, or an ER or the ER. ER Notorious. Get them in, get them out. We're going to overprescribe. We're going to be overly cautious, but that's, that's their role, right? They have to. And that's, that's what they're supposed to do. Right. Um, But a a misnomer as it relates to that versus an OC health clinic is um, a lot of people don't understand, say an individual goes to an ER and say it was for a sprain for the easy conversation or as an example, um, they may say, the ER may say, okay, I need you to rest for three weeks. You're <laughs> off right. for three weeks. It's been an exaggeration, maybe. However, so say that occurred one night and the next day you bring them to an OC health clinic and the provider sees them and says, okay, no, I think you're okay. Maybe you can do modified duty or, hey, looking at your job description, I think you're okay to do your job. Um, but the misnomer of that is a lot of people don't understand that the OC health, because it is a specialty and the, we are the experts, that trumps mm-hmm. the ER mm-hmm. uh, recommendation. Exactly. And so I think that's important to understand. Okay, we're only open Monday through Friday, eight to five. Stuff happens outside of that. But if you are in a situation where you, um, you feel like restrictions were issued when they maybe shouldn't have, it's, it's always good to to um, consult with your OC Health and have that patient seen there as well. Yeah, that's great advice, man. That is great advice because then uh, that's actually written in the regulation, in the record-keeping regulation, the the um, medical authority has jurisdiction that that individual or person with uh, greater professional standing in that area of expertise, the occupational health physician versus the ER guy who is literally just, you know, patch them up, stabilize them, move them on, whatever that, you know, whatever they're doing. But I, that's really good advice because people suffer under those uh diagnoses those consequences all the time and don't have to sure probably exactly i love that man so um you have one facility here in omaha is there one work fit location or do you have outliers or yeah so so as of today we have one i'd like to change that uh-huh. um our, our one and only location today is on 77th and dodge right Right behind that McDonald's. You got it. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> right. got it. And I, not that I've stopped at McDonald's <laughs> often, but I see your facility regularly. Yeah. Usually with a Diet Coke in hand or something, you know, but okay. But you want to see, you want to put some out into the other communities or what do you, what do you hope? I, I would love, I would love that. I would love, I mean, I think there's, um, I would love to have multiple facilities here in the Metro um, and maybe further down the line, mm-hmm. look at other cities. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, who knows where yeah, it'll go, but sure. that's my, that would but, be my long-term but vision. But you have clients that are outside of the Omaha area? We do have some. Uh, most of them are in the Omaha metro area. Uh, we did have one client as far as Sioux City that was okay. uh, trucking their injured workers down to us to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but as most, most of our clients are right around the metro simply okay. because a lot of what we do, you have to be there in person. Uh, right. and it just doesn't make sense to travel too far. 
um, to have somebody come do a pre-employment drug test or lifting test. Yeah. Um, so it just makes sense. Yeah. To and there's be here. probably plenty of uh, work opportunity here with the with the folks here in Omaha. I think so there is. You guys busy? Yes. Good. Good. Um, so let's talk a little bit about drug testing. We um, we talked briefly about this. I know that you guys are doing some training. Uh, drug testing is a really interesting topic to me, and um, the pros and cons of drug testing for from the company's perspective, um, the benefits. Can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of drug testing or why a company should consider drug testing? Sure, sure. And maybe I'd start with just pre and would start with pre-employment services in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, all those services really are a risk management tool. I mean, it's not going to make you money. It's going to save you money. But the saying goes, a penny earned is a penny. No, a penny saved is a penny earned, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Um, so um, we're really a small, small piece of the whole risk management um, family of, mm-hmm. of things. Um, so moving on to, to drug screening specifically, you know, a lot of people shy away from it for a few different reasons. Um one is it's just one more thing to do, yeah. right? And, you know, we could talk about the employment market over the last few years and mm-hmm. we could probably spend the next few hours talking mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, um, and so with that being said, you know, just one, just having one less thing to do and it's not super expensive, but maybe that's another reason some people shy away from it. Um, but at the end of the day, whether whatever pre-employment service you're doing, I, I mean, it's it's really a business decision, mm-hmm. right? What mm-hmm. what level of risk and what type of risk are you willing to take on as an organization? Right. It really comes down to that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's interesting because OSHA uh, has been, you know, I think most of the studies that I've read have had access to suggest that drug testing programs, whether that be random post-incident, pre-employment, those programs improve overall safety and health practices in your your workplace. No question. I mean, everything that I've seen suggests that that is the case, that an OSHA's expectation is that you provide a workplace free from recognized hazards. So you can't turn a blind eye as an employer to the fact that you might have employees coming in under the influence. I mean, you can't just ignore that fact. And then the liability piece that you just mentioned, you know, if, if an employee is involved in an incident, uh, a personnel incident or a property damage incident or something under the influence, I mean, there's a, a, a great deal of liability that accompanies that, I'm assuming. So I think, as I understand it, the pros certainly outweigh the cons. I, we had drug testing every, everywhere I've worked. I was with DOD. We had drug testing, Terracon, drug testing. The Department of Labor with OSHA, we had random drug testing. I can remember getting tapped and said, you need to go down to the clinic and provide a sample. And um, I think, not that I would have come to work under the influence, but I think that affects your mindset at work, I would think, you know? Yeah, yeah, I would too. And, you know, how frequent you're doing the testing and what situations you're doing the testing. At the end of the day, just making somebody know when they first start off, hey, this is part of our policy. That's going to detour many people right. from from going down that path, which I think we're taking the job. True. I mean, maybe that you know, maybe the people that are well, this is not something I'm willing to sacrifice. Will go elsewhere, perhaps, and that's probably a good thing, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, we do drug drug screening for a lot of different reasons. You hit on most of them. I think the, about the only two that 
that you may not have covered. Uh, well, let's just go through them all. Pre-employment, um, DOT consortium, randoms, uh, post-accident, and reasonable suspicion. Um, those, those are kind of the reasons mm -hmm. why. Um, but in general, there's, there's so many different types of drug screens out there. I mean, we do. The, mo the most common industry-wide industry is a five-panel drug screen. Um, the next beyond that is probably a 10-panel. But we do four, five, nine, ten, um, customized. I mean, mm -hmm. working with the lab, you can do what, about whatever sort of test that you want as far as what drugs you're testing. Okay. And even um, even customize what sort of thresholds you're looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't recommend starting to play with those thresholds myself, but at the end of the day, you can. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason I, I say I, I wouldn't recommend getting that far under the weeds is because there's so many different variables that go into you know, yeah. um, what's going to show what's not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of reasons that, that we do it. Um, and there's a lot of different types of drug screens. The most typical, um, is a urinalysis, right? That's what most people are doing mm -hmm. today. Um, there's uh, hair testing. Not a lot of employers do, do that. Um, there's also, uh, oral fluid testing. And that's something that we have gotten into, um, as of recent, I'd say within the last 18 or so months, mm. um, was the first time we started. Is it like offering. a saliva test? Or it something? is. It okay. is. It's basically like Drool. a yeah yeah <laughs> drool it, test. It is, he's yeah. drooling test yeah. him yes it's a spit test <laughs> okay. uh, so um so we started doing that and there's just a couple of our clients who utilize that today but um you know a big reason that they move towards that is um, i'm sure you've seen a lot of these cb not uh like i call them smoke shops mm -hmm. right uh, mm -hmm. advertising delta 8 delta 10 mm -hmm. um and whatever else mm -hmm. um so as as um those shops become more popular and more people are partaking in that. Um, what employers have seen is it's a lot harder to hire people. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So what we, what we have seen is a lot of our employers have actually, in, in some industries that I would never would have dreamt, have actually taken out testing for marijuana or specifically THC, which is a chemical mm -hmm. within the marijuana that the test test for. Um, so a lot of our clients have taken that completely out, but back to the, the oral fluid testing, the, the draw to that, to, um, to many people, and I see a lot of credence in it is it shortens the window of detection. And what I'm, so let's talk about a traditional test, mm -hmm. um, a traditional urinalysis specifically in regard to marijuana can show that marijuana can show up in the user system, you, doing a UA, um, for weeks. Mm-hmm. A lot of times weeks, if not, mm -hmm. yeah, many weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, there's a lot of different factors that play into how long it's detected, such as, to name a few, fluid intake, metabolism, body composition, fat, uh, how much fat they have in their mm -hmm. body, um, just to name a few. But Is um, it fat soluble? I mean, is it stored in it body is stored fat? In, it's stored in the fat. Mm -hmm. um, and so marijuana is one of those few drugs that shows up for an extended amount of time generally speaking most drugs are flushed out of a user system within a few days okay sometimes quicker um, alcohol is an example or something yeah, like that yeah perhaps. exactly okay um so most of them are flushed out of your system but back to oral fluid screening that the draw is instead of it showing up for potentially a month for easy conversation it shortens it down to six to eight hours mm -hmm. and so a lot of employers are saying okay Let's treat it almost like alcohol. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily care what they're doing on their, their own time sure. as long as they're not coming under the influence and affecting what they're doing at work. Right. And so that's I think that's a draw to for a lot of employers mm -hmm. is that is that approach. It's interesting. I can see why. I mean, to, to find the presence of THC really has no bearing on 
the imp, you know, the the effects. I the mean, impairment. whether you are yeah. under some kind of impairment or yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's not a test on the market today that that said like an alcohol test, right? Like a breath alcohol test that says, okay, at this point in time, you're this impaired. Mm-hmm. There's not a test on the market mm-hmm. as it relates to testing for marijuana mm-hmm. today. There's a lot of things in development, um, but nothing that's been approved and mm-hmm. is out on the market yet. I and- mean. Once that becomes available, which I, I, I can't believe that in today's day and age, that technology doesn't exist. That's not accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably who knows why it hasn't mm-hmm. been released yet. But um, once that is released and becomes mainstream, it's going to change the way a lot of people handle their, a lot of their drug screens, mm-hmm. I think. Interesting. That's interesting. So and even, you know, those uh, body um burden levels of some type of drug or alcohol does it correlate to impairment somehow i mean if i'm if i'm just a i drink every day hard and i can still somewhat function as compared to the person that maybe binges once every three months to six months i mean it's not necessarily a direct reflection of impairment is it i mean i don't i don't know um Maybe. I mean, you think about, as you describe it, what the term that comes to mind is like a functioning alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody mm-hmm. that's drinking every day, all day, but yet they're productive. They're doing the things they need to do. So go to maybe that's their typical normal, if you will. Um, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'd still argue that they, I mean, what if they weren't? I mean, they're still functioning. So they're, so if they were here um, as their functioning, mm-hmm. uh, functioning alcoholic, if they weren't, maybe they'd be up here yeah. and, and that that. They're still impaired they're, they're to some still degree, impaired, right? Yeah. yeah. And how else would you make that decision? I mean, really, you can only quantify it to the extent that you're able to and then use some type of a, a gauge or guideline to determine that. Mm-hmm. And is it are, are some of them like just the presence or absence? It's just a yes or no. And then, yeah, yes, the, the drug is present or no, the drug is not present at a detectable level. And, you know, so more of a positive negative or I can determine the blood alcohol levels or whatever that might be to a certain quantifiable level. Sure. Some are yes or no type. Yeah, some assuming. are yes or no. Some of them. Um, so so some of the tests are, are rapids, right? Mm-hmm. That's a yes or no. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of red tape and legality wrapped around the drug testing process, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about people's livelihoods. You're talking about their um, being able to obtain a job in some cases, potentially maintain a job. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's a lot of legalities wrapped around it, but, um, but if, but yeah, yes or no, when it comes to a rapid screen, um, if it is a potential non-negative and that's probably a good uh, segue into talking about the actual process as, as far as what happens, because before I was involved in this industry, I wasn't, I didn't understand how long it could take to actually get drug screen test results back and how mm-hmm. that process all worked. It takes longer than most people think. Um, so let's talk about a rapid screen, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, a rapid screen. Um, you get those results right away. If it's, if it shows as a negative, if it shows as a potential non-negative, and that's the technical term, because at this point it hasn't been verified okay. that there's something in the system. Okay. Um, it's sent off to a lab. The lab will run their, their test. Um, if it still shows as a potential non-negative, they'll do another set of testing called confirmation testing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, then they can make a final determination based on that. Is it positive or negative? Okay. Um, so at that point, um, 
if it is a positive, um, what happens is a medical review officer gets in, uh, gets involved, mm-hmm. which is um, oftentimes retur- referred to as an MRO. Their role is to reach out to the donor, um, collect any prescription information. They mm-hmm. then take that data, compare it to what was uh, the, res- the final results mm-hmm. that was provided by the lab, and um, and see how they line up. Not mm-hmm. only are they seeing does do these two line up, they're also looking at the thresholds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking mm-hmm. at how much is being prescribed, and then they're able to determine if this person is over using mm-hmm. right, right. Uh, yeah. or not. Interesting. Um, so all that to be said, um, there's a lot of hands um, on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can take actually up to about three weeks to get mm-hmm. those final results back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, that's a long time for somebody to be in a, a state of limbo. And there's a lot of people in the state of limbo at, right. during that time. You've right. got the donor, you've the got company. an HR department, mm-hmm. right? right? You've got a supervisor. It's like, Hey, when's Jim coming back? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can, right. it can be, it can drag you got out Jim's wife. Jim's wife, Jim kids, uh, all of those things, you know, and and most companies, uh, and I I agree with this philosophy or uh, policy is they will not put that person back to work until those final results are returned because you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so if you get a rapid test and they're colorimetric type tests, probably they, some kind of indicator on these rapid tests, it changes color. And so that suggests that it's a potential Mm non-negative Uh, if you get the negative um, on a rapid test, is that fairly, is there a certain level of confidence that it is negative then, I would assume? I yeah. Mean, like most tests, like the COVID tests and all that other stuff, there's yeah. a certain yeah, level I mean, of sensitivity. I, and- there, uh, I don't, there, there's a lot of different products out there, mm-hmm. um, but they're they're very accurate. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's yeah, enough regulation pretty- around it that they're they're very accurate. Yeah. And in that case, you know, our policy is that the employer gets those results. If it's if it's a rapid and it shows as negative, they get those results back that right business away. Yeah. day. Okay. Many times within hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, and do you help companies then with the formulation of a drug testing policy? I mean, do you give them some guidance on a standard policy or is it purely up to the company then to make determinations about how they will utilize and interpret this, this data, this information? Sure. Um, I consult with many of our clients in that mm-hmm. regard, but at the end of the day, it's their policy. Ultimately right. up to them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is there, are, are most drug testing policies that you've seen fairly consistent? Are they, are they? Um, or does everybody say, do something different? I mean, like you were saying, some people have just eliminated THC as as one of the drugs uh, that that are being tested for. Sure. Maybe because, I mean, just of the likelihood that because of all these new products and things. I um, mean, you know, I I have rubbed CDB paste on my back, you know, for pain and stuff, and so I'm probably never going to pass a test again. <laughs> Fortunately, at Fletcher Safety, we don't do drug testing, you know, but um, there are a lot of things that could give you. I'm not not false positives because it's positive, but there are there are obviously context behind some of these findings. Sure, sure. So I mean, how, I, I don't know how you would even come up with a. I think that would be challenging. It it would. Um, I guess my my suggestion is always consistency. If you're doing, you know, yeah. if you do the same thing throughout the process, no matter right. what um, reason you're doing the test, mm-hmm. that that's at a high level. That's usually my recommendation. Mm-hmm. Keep it consistent. Keep it consistent. Yeah, that's good advice. Well, I know at one time, OSHA, about 2016, when OSHA implemented that electronic reporting requirement, everybody's going to start submitting their data electronically to the agency. 
purely for statistical reference, you know, uh, not for targeting inspections, of course, but they added that element about drug testing and they said mandatory post incident drug testing is discouraged because of the potential for quashing employee reporting of, of incidents. Okay. And, and OSHA has always been paranoid that incentive programs, drug testing programs, uh, the mandatory post-incident drug testing specifically might quash reporting. Okay. And so I can remember when that came out and everybody was like, Oh my God, can I drug test anymore? Absolutely. I mean, they certainly don't, there is no OSHA regulation per se for drug testing, but I think the agency always encouraged it because of the effect it had on overall safety of the workplace. But when people develop post-incident programs for drug testing, what, how do they define incident? I mean, how do you determine what, and is that across the board too? Companies do their own thing, but how do they determine what incidents will be drug tested it, it is i mean it does vary you probably know better than i do with all your experience working with with your clients and stuff but um i my perception is it is all over the board mm -hmm. you know one incident may you know you have incident accident injury i mean yes. you, you have all these different terms that people throw around and a lot of times there's not consistency as far as what's an incident to you what's an incident to mm -hmm. this company mm -hmm. um so I, i'd say it's all over the board yeah it's interesting. I've heard companies like uh, property damage, for example, there may not be any type of personal injury as the result of this incident, mm -hmm. but there could be property damage, certainly. And so then they have set like dollar amount thresholds. Yeah. If it's more than a thousand dollars or appears to be more than a thousand dollars or whatever that threshold is, sure. uh, the incidents, if it's OSHA recordable, if it requires some type of medical intervention, if it's beyond first aid, whatever that is, you know, I mean, that triggers, you know, I mean, it's, it, it seems, as you said, I think the one thing that has to be maintained is consistency, mm -hmm. uniformity and consistency in your application of the program so that you don't start putting the company in precarious positions. Sure. You know? That's a tough one. I mean, the random stuff seems pretty straightforward. If you have a randomized system of drawing names or whatever, that doesn't seem terribly precarious and uh, the pre-hire stuff doesn't seem precarious, but the post-incident one seems to be the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, you know, you're talking about property damage. That's something that I've seen on a lot of occasions, you know, you set a, a dollar threshold and if it's over whatever, I mean that, I think that's probably fairly common. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you, if you, try to delineate between what's recordable, what's not, and relate that to who's going to be drug tested. Guess what? You don't necessarily, until that individual is seen, you probably don't know if it's right. recordable. Some of them, yeah, you know. And, and talk about uh, reasonable suspicion a little bit. So OSHA went on to say in that document that Rich Fairfax put out back, back in 2016, that rather than just across the board post-incident, they would rather see reasonable suspicion drug testing post-incident, which requires training, obviously, right? I mean, yeah. so in your professional opinion, would you drug test me? I mean, is there a reasonable I, suspicion I, that... Anytime I, I I would drug test you every day, all day. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Three times a day at least. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Some of them are going to hit, obviously. <laughs> but, but I mean, talk about reasonable suspicion. Sure. Do you do that training? 
I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a, that's a training that, that I do for many of our clients. Uh, I probably, I do it several dozen times a year. I, I really enjoy mm-hmm. doing it. Um, but at, at a high level, it's either a one hour or two hour long course, um, that, that we're, um, I'm speaking to supervisors, managers, anybody that's actually has some sort of responsibility as far as like supervising folks. Um, but you talk about things to look for, um, and, and at a high level, that's really just any sort of change. Right. Mm-hmm. Any sort of change. That's your that's your key to zero in, in on, behaviors on or appearances yeah. and stuff. Or? Exactly. There, there's a lot of different. So you talk about all of that. You get into some specifics about the most common drugs used. Talk about alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, um, you talk about the right process. Should you suspect? I mean, again, there, there's a lot of red tape there. Um, so you want to make sure your managers and supervisors know who to go to. What are the right steps? Mm-hmm. All of those sorts of things. Right. So, Right. Yeah, I, I'm sure that there, there are specific sequential steps that have to be taken in order to go down that road. If you do have reasonable suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. I think you mentioned some organizations may look at whether that's post-accident, whether it's property or an injury, whatever the case is, um, they would rely on their safety professional or somebody that's make, to make a call Mm -hmm. and say, okay, I think they're under an influence. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's a bad idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anytime Mm -hmm. you, you start, um, um, relying on, somebody to make a call. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's where things tough, get out of, yeah. get out of whack. It's pretty subjective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think it should be every time or no time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's, uh, and so do you, would you train these managers, supervisors that are, are going to be asked to, uh, evaluate reasonable suspicion? Do you teach them like what I would refer to as a sobriety type tests or is it like, are you out there, you know, making the employee stand on one foot and touch their nose or is it purely through conversation and observation? Typically? It's it's through the latter. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not having them teaching them how to have somebody walk a line uh-huh. and touch their nose, say the ABCs backwards, any of that kind of things. <laughs> um, but but it's it's purely like, all right, look at their eyes. Do they look different? You know, do you smell any sort of out of the ordinary odors? Mm-hmm. Um, how they walk and how they talk and are mm-hmm. there any sort of mannerisms that are out of place mm-hmm. or abnormal? Um, so th- those are the things okay. we really touch on, but, and so this course, if, um, I think everybody would be interested in this, or at least everybody should have exposure to this training. So do you do this, um, out in the community? Do you do it only for work fit clients? How do you, how do you offer this training? Sure. So traditionally we have done this or I've done it just for our clients, but I'm happy any sort of any organization that does reasonable suspicion, um, testing, mm-hmm. um, and would be interested uh, whether they're a client or not, I'd be happy to facilitate mm-hmm. the, the training for them as yeah, well. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, so in Iowa, it's actually required for all um, organizations that that do reasonable suspicion testing. It is required by them. Um, in Nebraska, it's not really uh, correct. So drink, drink them if you got them in Nebraska, <laughs> but or whatever. No. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, um, it's still the employer's decision as to if they're going to do reasonable suspicion, but the requirement is, is, um, is re- in regard to the training I got and you. training of those, those supervisors. Okay. Interesting. That is interesting. So, um, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Have you seen anyone try to like, uh, manipulate a drug test? Does anybody ever try to, uh, uh, Fool the drug test. I mean, do you see those things? We, I see them on TV all the time. I'm just wondering if is that common? 
Often, I mean, yeah, we see it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and there's all different ways people can go about it. Everything mm -hmm. from, you know, having a bottle strapped to the inside of their leg. <laughs> right. And later find a bottle in the trash and like hey this doesn't look like <laughs> right, a coke bottle or um right so but but there are a lot of you know looking back to even a decade the, these tests are a lot more um complicated than mm -hmm. than they were mm -hmm. i think they the test used to be a lot easier to fool and get around than than they are today mm -hmm. um i if i told you that i didn't think there was any way to get around them i'd be lying um but i think there there are but they're they're very few and far between mm -hmm. I mean, these tests, they're, you're testing the temperature. And I think right. that's, that's a lot, that that's a lot of times where we catch somebody trying to beat the system as they're out of whack with the temperature. Mm -hmm. um, Ice cold urine. Right, right. Right. Or a lot of times. Fresh from the tap. <laughs> yeah. Or a lot of times it's even too hot. Or oh. too hot. There, there's a <laughs> right. threshold there where right. um, it has to fall in. Otherwise yeah. you, you retest or yeah. um, go start going down that path. But um, yeah. Um, there, there's not a whole lot of ways. I mean, people, you can purchase the fake urine on, online. You can do, you oh see God. these cleansers advertised where it's supposed to flush your system. Mm -hmm. Some of those may work, but I, I would have to question what that's doing to your body if it's mm -hmm. really getting everything yeah, like no that doubt. out of your system. Yeah. Um, so that there's, there's, there's probably always going to be some way to try to cheat the system. But at the end of the day, in today's world, they're few and far between. They're just way too sophisticated for that. Yeah. 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 I, I can remember... Um, when I would get called upon to go do a random, when I was with OSHA, it probably happened. I was with OSHA for 18 years or something. And I probably got tapped three times to go give a random drug test or something. And then we would go, to, we would be sent to the clinic may have been work fit. Actually. I don't know who OSHA used or maybe the federal occupational health folks downtown or something, but it would typically be a female nurse who would accompany you to the restroom and then stop course you know i mean as as they should i believe and then send you in and uh you know and then come back yeah you know and then you'd mm -hmm. come back with your cup i mean whatever that was or sure. something it, it, it wasn't heavily there weren't a lot of cameras in there i don't believe right and it wasn't heavily scrutinized but obviously there were temperature and other issues that you could use for you know veracity i suppose yeah but for ph level yeah you is the, is there is there still some privacy involved in the? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, it, the, the process you described is still the process. Fairly common, um, yeah. There are some situations that, um, and it's outlined in each organization's um, procedures and or, uh, protocols. Um, some, some organizations, if somebody gives, say, a hot sample or something that seems like something's wrong, they'll actually, will actually do an observed uh, mm -hmm. collection. Mm -hmm. um, but in most case, that's, that's very few and far between. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. What, what about the, you know, I hear a lot of people, when I go to give presentations, you know, safety and OSHA stuff, uh, one of the things that we talk about commonly is discipline you know having a discipline program is something that osha expects of employers and you have to surveil your workplace and when you observe deviations from policies or safe work practices you're supposed to intervene and people have told me that they don't know how to discipline employees anymore what you alluded to in the very beginning you know these staffing issues that were somewhat challenged by now if I discipline an employee for violating a policy, they walk, they just leave, mm -hmm. you know, H has the same been true with this, with drug testing of late? Do you, do you have, do the employers that you work with have these same concerns about 
do I keep my drug testing policy or do I eliminate everything but whatever the most heinous propofol or what I don't know what the most heinous drug would be, but I mean, are they, are they becoming more lenient because of their fear of eliminating the majority of their workforce or what, what's, what have you been seeing? Sure. Um, so looking back and I keep going back to a decade or maybe mm-hmm. around a decade mm-hmm. or so ago, it wasn't um, uncommon for an employer. If somebody failed a drug or alcohol test to be automatically terminated, right? right? Today's world doesn't work like that. There's still organizations out there. That is their policy. Um, but more organization anymore, refer them to their um, employee assistance program. They're like, Hey, mm-hmm. we're going to try to hear we're going to try to help you out. Right. right. Um, Which so, seems humane. That seems yeah, like a reasonably yeah, I think, humane approach. I, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, um, yeah, employers have definitely, uh, employees hold the cards today, right? It and have like for it. the last few year, years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't always been the case. So that's mm-hmm. a pretty, they, employers have had to get really creative mm-hmm. on how they discipline um, they and what they're willing to to take on from a, um you know, general behavior perspective or drugs, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it is interesting. The entire dynamic of the workplace is so different than probably when you started. And certainly when I started, you know, they, it's uh, much different and much more nuanced and probably much more challenging because it was very black and white back in the day. You're, you're out, you know? Yeah. You said something they didn't like, you're out. You didn't pass a drug test, you're out. I mean, it was just... Yeah, yeah, it was rough. I think a manager today has to have a much higher, uh, an effective manager has to have a much higher level of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, looking back to, to what yeah. I, the old days where I was like, okay, you do your stuff. If you don't do your stuff, we're going to find somebody else, right? right? You can't do that today. Yeah. Or there's not tough, organizations that, that are in a position to do that. Yeah, this is why not only do we not have a drug testing policy at Fletcher Safety, we don't have employees at Fletcher Safety <laughs> because I couldn't do any of that shit, man. I mean, when I was a manager at OSHA, that was the worst part, you know, the personnel stuff, you know, the technical stuff, the the coordination stuff. I didn't mind that at all, you know, even, you know, even dealing with the outcomes of my compliance officers inspections, that was fine. But the personnel issues haunted me. Sure. I hated that stuff. I, I don't, I have the utmost respect for managers that have found a good way to balance these things because it is incredibly difficult, man. And which is why we have people like you that can help them with these kind of things with things like the occupational health, the drug testing. I mean, it's just, it, we, we have a world that is so complex that everybody needs help. Yeah. You know, you yeah, can't exactly. be an expert in all these things. It's, and there's no two situations that are the same. There's always some little nuance that makes it different. Mm-hmm. So talking about some of the other things, I think the drug testing stuff is really interesting. I, I I would be curious to hear what people are doing with drug testing. So at some point, if you feel like dropping me an email or making a comment to this at the end of like when we push this episode out, I'd be interested to hear the challenges that people are faced with now. But one of the things that you talked about, and I'd like to just touch on briefly, is some of the other occupational health services that you guys offer respiratory protection, fit testing, um, audiometry, hearing conservation, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, very common. You know, most workplaces probably need those things. And oftentimes when I'll tell somebody, well, ha- have your employees been fit tested? And I get that deer in the headlight look, uh, it, it scares me, man. Yeah. So are you, do you still have people coming to you 
that are like, I didn't realize we we had to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Does yeah, that still some, exist? Yeah, they do. Um, and and uh, specific to respiratory fit tests, a common question that comes up is, uh, is pulmonary function tests required, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the point of a PFT is to make sure somebody's um, healthy enough to utilize a respirator, right? right? And so you correct me if I'm wrong. My, my understanding is uh, um, a PFT is not required, um, though at least my opinion is if you're going to put somebody that's in, in a position where it's uh, restricting their breathing, it's an absolute best practice. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, yeah, so. totally. And you're absolutely correct on all points. Yeah. But it is, I think, up to the discretion of the provider you know, OSHA has always, you know, here's the questionnaire, complete the questionnaire. Uh, you know, if you happen to have any negatives on here, we're not actually going to give you the job or allow you the work. So wink, wink, right. make sure you say no or yes, whatever the correct answer is to everything. Sure. So I'm not sure I would rely on a questionnaire alone. I would I put somebody, particularly if they're working in hazardous materials areas, PEL level exposures, yeah. That would scare the crap out of me. Yeah, me too. I mean, if you're trying to check the box, okay, the questionnaire is fine. I mean, mm-hmm. you're relying on that person um, to accurately complete that. Right. And keep in mind, they're trying to obtain a job. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah, I can do all of this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, if you're trying to check the box, that's the answer. Yeah. Uh, if you're trying to actually look out for for the liability for you as the employer, as well as take care of that potential candidate um, and your current employees, um, yeah. I actually do the PFT. Totally agree, man. Yeah, totally agree. Now, have yeah. you done, did you have to do spirometry back in the day when you were a working man? I, I did not. Okay, because <laughs> we had to do that every year for our physicals with OSHA. And for anyone who has not done the pulmonary function test, the spirometry that Tony's referring to, it, it's... It's not easy. It's not easy. No. And to pass requires that that your performance on each round, like you have like three rounds of the spirometry that meet within a certain percentage. Typically, that was the OSHA guideline. And to get three of them that would be within that range, it would take me 10, 12 goes on that. And normally, I would just pass out and <laughs> slam my head into the wall or the floor or something. <laughs> right. It was brutal brutal yeah it's a tough test i mean you see people turning red or you know or like a, <laughs> yeah. you, breathe you, breathe breathe i can I, still hear i haven't seen anybody me. pass out yet but um but yeah it's not a, it's not an easy test um so so yeah that's one of the things that we do but let's talk about pre-employment um and and even ongoing um screenings where mm-hmm. we talk about respiratory fit test pulmonary function test audio or audiograms all of those things mm-hmm. i mean at the end of the day um you're trying to protect yourself and that individual. Right. Um, and you know, those things that are not necessarily just a pass fail, um, those things that actually have where you're measuring a level, um, from a risk management perspective, that's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can track that for those Mm -hmm. testing, those tests that are required annually or, um, or every other, for example, or something like that. It's important to, to have a baseline. Mm -hmm. Um, and, for, for all those reasons I described, but it also comes down to your bottom line as well as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example that I throw out there in that regard would be a lifting test, right? So, so say some, you, you go to hire somebody. So say a step back, say you go and hire somebody, you don't have any sort of baseline where they started there. It's a physically demanding job. They get injured. All right. So now say, say it blow this claim or this injury blows up, needs surgery, all those things. And you, 
Um, now all of a sudden you have nothing to look back on to say, where did this person start at from the mm-hmm. time when they, when they when came they, to us, when they, when they came to us. Yeah, right. So to me, from a risk management perspective, that's one of the biggest values or the most important reason to mm-hmm. do the pre-screening is you have to have that baseline. Otherwise it's all yours. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting comment. So if you don't necessarily have people that are in medical surveillance, and I'm going to refer to that as the respiratory protection or hearing conservation, or maybe even if they are working with silica lead or something where we might have some type of uh, requirement to do periodic testing. If you don't have people that are in medical surveillance specifically, but you still want to have a baseline of their functional capacities and things like that, they should still be evaluated at least at the start of employment at that initial employment period just to know what you've got so to speak yeah yeah, at at a minimum um you know if it's any any position that's even remotely physically demanding Mm -hmm. um just having that baseline of whether some people call it a back screen which is Mm -hmm. that people use a lot of different terms back screen musculoskeletal exam lifting screen all one Mm -hmm. and the same to me but those things are 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 very important they would be absolutely are, are your, do you have clients in both uh, construction and general industry? We do. Across the board. Yeah, we, we service around 500 employers around wow. the metro area, mm-hmm. ranging from clients that have five employees all the way up to clients that have several thousand mm-hmm. um, across all industries. The majority of our clients are in higher risk industries, such sure. as constru- construction, manufacturing, meat processing, anything mm-hmm. along those lines where somebody, somebody's actually working with their hands mm-hmm. day in and working, day out. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so do you do any on-site services? I mean, I know you do training. You'll go out to the facilities and do training or do they come to you for that training? I typically go to their facilities. Uh, um, From time to time, I do it on Zoom. I much prefer doing it in person. Um, So that's uh, that's my go-to. But I usually go to to their facility to facilitate to to facilitate that training as far as other on-site services i mean we'll do flu clinics we'll do on-site drug tests for random programs Uh um but that's that's the majority of the on-site things we do outside of that i mean we go out we'll do ergonomic assessments on site interesting okay um job assessments Uh, we'll go out there do initial um walk walk of the facility to observe what's going on mm-hmm. so we can accurately build those lifting mm-hmm. tests based on, you know, take measurements on the actual works being performed. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. can accurately um, build those screens. Yeah. Uh, I think one piece, let's step back to those lifting tests. Uh, that's the easiest way to refer them to, mm-hmm. to them. I mean, if, if you're doing lifting screens, it's important to review those annually. And I think that's a piece that a lot of people, they, they set it and forget it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a bad approach. There's mm-hmm. a uh, you, there should you should be analyzing what your pass fail rate is. You should also be looking at, um, you know, digging further into those into those weeds mm-hmm. there. It's not something to set and forget. Mm-hmm. Jobs evolve. People change right. all of those things. So it's important to reevaluate those and adjust those screens mm-hmm. if, if need be. So uh, so even employees that, you know, as employees age. Their capacities obviously change. I know my capacities have changed significantly since I was, you know, 20 years old, obviously. And so mm-hmm. is there is there a recommendation for that? Is that kind of what you're referring to? Like, can can Doug still do the job or has the job changed requiring different skills and capacities or a combination of those things? Or Sure. Generally, those are all done at pre-employment. So, mm-hmm. so say you've worked for an organization for a long, so say for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
most people wouldn't have you go do a back screen every five years or whatever. You would not. Okay. You, you, most companies would not. Okay. And, I, okay. and quite frankly, I don't think you can. Is that uh, illegal? I, mean, I, I, I don't. Like, I don't think you can. Get your shit uh, and get out. You yeah. Piece of shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I legally don't think I, you, you can do that. That makes sense. Um, but <laughs> but usually what what happens though is um, that that sometimes uh, drifts towards like a fit for duty. So mm-hmm. many people utilize fit for duties for a lot of different reasons, right? We we do them. Um, so that could be somebody could be away from work, whether that was a personal injury, a surgery, it could be a work related injury. It could be, say they were out for a month with COVID, mm-hmm. whatever reason they were away from work I see. and you as an employer says, okay, I I'm concerned. Doug is not going to be able to safely do their, his job when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Then you would come to our facility, do a fit for duty. So I guess where I'm going with that I is see. a lot of times that would kind of be the catch all. Something has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that fit for duty is like, okay, that's your chance as an employer to reanalyze or to analyze it. Okay. Yeah. And this person actually do the job safely, come back to this job safely. Yeah. That's a great, yes. Okay. And there is a distinction between what I was saying and what you're describing someone returning to work or someone who's had some type of an issue or incident or something to determine whether or not they are, that capacity still exists or if that has changed somehow. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's and I know that, you know, those are issues that also most employers need help with. They need consultation with, can I return Doug to the same job? And so we have always, I mean, as an OSHA person and as a consultant, you know, it's, we always recommend having that strong, intimate working relationship with your occupational health provider, mm-hmm. you know, so that, so that we know the details of these things. Like, you know, you can get into the weeds on some of those things and make those decisions rather than just having someone who is completely unfamiliar with occupational health and, or your workplace making those decisions for you. Yeah. It truly is a a partnership, Mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day, if our clients don't succeed, that does nothing good for anybody. Right. right? Right. Um, So it truly is a partnership. Yeah. It's cool. Good, man. Um, We're way over the hour. (laughs) We are. We're over the hour. It always takes about, (laughs) 10, it seems like 10 minutes go by. This is really interesting stuff. And, um, you know, I, I do, you know, I think that when we talk about this workplace safety and health thing that we've been talking about for three years on this show, uh, the occupational health support piece is such a critical part of the, of the program and it gets overlooked sometimes, but it's, as you described it, the partnership is really critical. I mean, it's, um, a resource that, I mean, everybody probably needs, frankly, as you said, from the small three to four to five person shops, all the way up to the huge organizations, everybody needs this, this expertise in their partnership, you know? So, um, where do people find you, man? You have a website. I mean, they probably already know that you exist. I think most of the people that are at least in our area here, I mean, the people that are listening in, in maybe perhaps Africa or Europe are not familiar with WorkFit. But. Sure. Yeah. Our website is www.workfitomaha.com. Okay. Um, yeah. They need to check it out. I mean, everybody needs to have a go-to resource for this stuff. Absolutely. Love it. It's good stuff, man. And so <laughs> we, we're not going to do any drug testing this morning. Um, I think we're going to pass on that today <laughs> just for the, the sake of my company as a whole. But um, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure it. getting to know you, man. We've known each other for since you took that job at WorkFit. Mm-hmm. And we kind of run in the same circles now, and it's very interesting stuff. So thank you for what you guys are doing. 
keeping the workforce healthy. It makes my life easier when the workforce is fit and healthy and working within their capacity, you know, so it, it is a partnership. So it's a good deal, man. Have a good weekend. Um, thanks for listening guys. Again, thank you to everyone who supports the program. It sounds like national public radio almost, you know, <laughs> send in a dollar. God damn it. Um, <laughs> And uh, we'll keep doing it. Um, Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.